Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. I also have to say it's good to see my Nana in the crowd. Very excited for her to be here. My grandfather, for those of you um, that have been uh, wondering, he's doing well. He's in a a rehab facility uh, after being in the hospital, and so we're praying for his continued healing. Uh, So we just are appreciative of that, and I know it's, uh, it's exciting to see her here. Also glad to see Frank in the back. Uh, good to see him. I know Alyssa's doing well after uh, the birth of their first baby and excited. So Alyssa, if you're watching, we send you our love. We're uh, looking forward to seeing you and uh, Ellie Ray. But uh, we just want to tell you, you know, I'm excited about today. I'm excited about what God's going to do and uh, the things that he's going to speak to us in this first uh, new series of 2020. Our theme for 2019 was renewal, and I absolutely believe that God did some amazing things in us, and, and I believe through us. I think he set the stage for something even bigger, though, for 2020. I told you at the end of the year that I felt like God was uh, speaking to me and saying, you know, John, uh, you know, I, I'm ready to do something even more. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And he, God began that filling in 2019, and I believe he is poised and ready to continue to infuse us with his power, continue to infuse us with his spirit, and I look forward to what that will bring. Um, Today is the beginning of that journey, and as we talk about the topic of Revive All, my dad kind of already hit on it, is that, you know, when we look at this series itself, uh, there are going to be a couple things that we uh, dive into, you know, a couple actually sections of the series, there could be uh, two mini-series, if you will, one around the requirements for Revival, one about experiencing Revival. It's going to be very exciting. But before we can even go any further, we have to uh, kind of admit something critical, right? So when we talk about revival, the word revival implies that something is what? Dead. And in order to be revived, it has to be brought to life again. And something that we need to realize, we cannot sit here this morning in, in a state of religious pride and think, well, I'm fully alive. Listen, we are made alive in Christ. But I would, I, would, I would believe that each of us struggle with the battle between our flesh and our spirit. And at times, we give in to our flesh instead of the spirit. And what does the word tell us? That when we are led by the flesh, the consequence of that is what? It is death. And so what we need God to do today, and in this series, and then from now on, is to come in and reveal to us the elements of our life where we have given in to our flesh. Where we have allowed death to come in and reign rather than God's life through his spirit. So this is going to be a time, honestly, of some discomfort. Because God is going to highlight some things, I believe, in each of us that he wants to bring life to. And while it might be painful enough just to even look at the dead parts of our life, I hope that you would go with me and take one step further. Not just look at them, not just acknowledge that they exist, but then surrender those dead parts to God that you would give them down and lay them at Christ's feet and allow him to bring to you the life that that you were created to walk in. Today's message is meant to be a coming together for us to acknowledge our individual and collective need for revival. It is meant to be for us, this, this title, Revive Us Again, is not just a title of a sermon, but it should be our prayer that God would come in and revive you, he would revive me, that he would revive all of us, and then use us to make a difference in our community. 
So let's take a moment and just surrender our own wills. Let's surrender our own perception about where we are in our walk with God and give him the latitude to speak truth through his word. Give him the permission to boldly press his thumb on the parts of our heart where we have not let him in. And then let us surrender those pieces of our life to him. Father, we come to you today and we look forward to what you are going to do. God, we thank you for your son. I worship you for Jesus and for your great love for me and every person that is here and every person that has ever lived, God. God, we thank you that you don't want to leave us in a place of death. You don't want to leave us in a place where our lives are, are run down and we are burdened with the, the death that comes along with giving in to our flesh, Father. Right here and now, God, we surrender to your spirit. We ask, God, just transparently that you would speak to us so boldly and plainly that we understand your will, that we understand the parts of our life that we need to surrender to you. God, we understand what it means and what it will take to come back to you so that you will bring revival to us. Father, we praise you and we thank you, God, for your son and the work that you are doing through him. Father, we ask God to join in that work. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as with all of our series, we have a core verse, and our core verse is found in Psalm 85. I invite you to turn with me there. Uh, if you're following along in the Version app, it will be there as well. Uh, but Psalm 85, it says, Revive us again to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all of their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned uh, from your hot anger. Restore, to us, or restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry uh, with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. The psalm was likely written um, after the Israelites had returned to Jerusalem. They had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And this psalm, you know, in, in the psalm they are acknowledging how God had restored them in their past and they are crying out for revival in their current situation. They understand that when they look to their past that, that they, had, um, they had experienced punishment because of their idolatry and their wickedness and sin. And they are crying out to God, restore to us, God of our salvation. Our core verse is verse 6, which says, uh, which is a cry for God to revive his people again so that they can rejoice and worship the Lord. You know, they understood the importance of revival and they understood its purpose was to bring, uh, bring the community of God back into his presence so that they could worship him.
but they understood that they were not in that situation because of their idolatry, because of their sin. You see, a revival is always preceded by a crisis, and that crisis is meant to be a moment of pain, a situation of pain that motivates us to address a situation of spiritual decline. But in order to address the situation of spiritual decline, we must first acknowledge what is really wrong. You see, when we look at the situation in the church, especially in the West, the need for revival is evidenced by the lack of spiritual life and and victory among God's people. When you think about addiction, to illicit drugs, to over-the-counter drugs, to alcohol, to sex, to pornography, to, to gambling, to anything that doesn't honor God, any, any kind of addiction that rules your life, and it happens among believers, we need revival. When you look at the divorce rate among believers, we need revival. When you think about how believers spew anger and hatred and vitriol, we need revival. When you think about how believers live in bitterness and anger, and, and when they live in unforgiveness and, and lovelessness and self-righteousness, we need revival. But what we must acknowledge today is that all of those things that we just talked about, they are all just symptoms of a greater problem. I don't want something that will simply mask the symptoms. I want something that will get after the problem. I want, some, I want God to confront us with his truth, to call the problem for what it is. It is sin, and I want it removed from me. I want it removed from you so that God can be released to come and, and manifest his presence in us. Listen, you don't need another sermon an interesting thing for a preacher to say on a Sunday while he is preaching a sermon. But you don't need another sermon. We don't need another sermon series. We don't need more worship songs. We don't need more church programs. You know what we need? We need God's presence to come and manifest among us. We need God to be here. We need his glory to be demonstrated in our lives. But listen, that won't happen until we address the real problem. And Paul highlights what that problem is in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. In 2 Timothy, he said, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. Listen, the problem, the real problem that we need God to come in and address today is that the church, instead of going out and changing and infiltrating the world, the world is coming in and changing and infiltrating the church. That is the real problem. That like Paul said, we fit into our culture without even thinking. As we look at the way we worship, as we look at the way we engage or don't engage with God on a daily basis, instead of acknowledging that for the sin that it is, instead of acknowledging the worldliness for worldliness, 
we actually, for some reason, believe that it might even honor God. That we would bristle at sound doctrine, at sound teaching, at at sin being called sin. That instead of listening to teaching that would call us out for what is happening in our life, we would seek teachers that would lie to us. We would seek teachers that would, that would stroke our ego and seek our approval instead of our transformation. That is the real problem. You see, I want God, and I, and I hope and pray that you want God to confront us with his truth. To change us by his word. You see, here's the situation. If we do not address this, we will end up like the Israelites in Jeremiah chapter 2. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God speaks through Jeremiah to the Israelites and he says, What have your ancestors found fault with me for? That they have strayed so far that they don't even ask where I am. They don't even say, where is the God who brought us up out of Egypt? Where is the God who split the Red Sea? Where is the God that provided manna? Where is the God that led me every single day? They have strayed so far from me, and they don't even ask where I am. Maybe they had forgotten what it was like to be in his presence. Maybe they didn't care to be in his presence anymore. I don't ever want to find myself in that place where I forget what God has done for me, where I forget what it's like to be empowered by his spirit, to be just surrounded by his presence and overwhelmed by his glory. I never want to get to a point where I am so far from God that I don't ask where he is. I am anxious for revival and for God to pour out his spirit on us, to bring his life to us. And that is what revival is. It is about the restoration of spiritual life and victory to God's people. It is the reconnection of God's people with God himself. It is the impartation of the God kind of life to the people that he created. It is the restoration to the position that we were created to walk in. You see, here's the problem. We can have church without life. You can read your Bible without life. We can sing worship songs without life. That happens when we look to the church itself to bring life. When we look to the words in the Bible, not the author of the Bible, to bring life. When we sing the worship only because it makes us feel good, not because of the transformation that it brings. Listen, when we put our hope in the things, they are empty. We must seek God for life. We must, if we want to be revived, we must acknowledge that it comes from God. In Psalm 85, the psalmist paints a picture of what that revival looked like for the Israelites. He says that God showed favor to his land, that he restored the fortunes of Jacob, that he forgave the iniquity of the people, and he covered all of their sins. For us, Jesus gives a picture of what the revival that he wants to bring to us looks like. In John chapter 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The word for life here comes from the Greek word uh, zoe, and it means the very God kind of life. It is the life that is derived, existent, and sustained by God himself. It is derived by God. It is, it is produced from God. It, it gets its beginning 
in God. It is existent in God. It, it, it is, it's there. That is where we find life and is sustained for all time in God. And it is through that kind of life that we are given the capacity to know and experience and walk with God and walk in the eternal life that only comes from him. And Jesus said, I came that you might have that life abundantly. Not, I came that you might have that life, period. I came that you might have that life abundantly. That means overwhelmingly, overflowing. Beyond what you could ever think that you need, Christ overflows his life into us. The scriptures make it clear that Christ, that he is our source of life, that when we want revival, we go to Jesus. In John 6, it says that Christ is the bread of life and we will never go hungry or thirsty. In John 11, it says that if we believe in Christ, we will have eternal life. In Romans 5, it says that we are reconciled to God through Christ. And in Romans 6, it says that we are made alive to God in Christ Jesus. Revival is the impartation of that very God kind of life to us through the sacrifice of his son. We cannot forget that. We can't, we can't fall into the temptation of believing that we could conjure up this kind of life or revival through more ceremony, through more ritual, through more religion. Because revival is not about religion. It is about, it's not about more religion. It's not about religion, period. It's about a deeper and more revitalized walk with God. We see this warning in Jeremiah chapter 7. It says, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. That's not a typo. They didn't just accidentally copy and paste. What God is doing through Jeremiah is he is calling his people out. You see, Isaiah was a contemporary of Jeremiah. They were prophets at the same time. In Isaiah chapter 6, God brings Isaiah into his throne room. And when Isaiah gets there, he sees those four living creatures that are surrounding the throne of God, and they are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We see this picture repeated in Revelation. That these creatures, they just cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God's holiness, is, it is one of his only characteristics that is repeated in this kind of superlative fashion. And God is calling out the people because they are aligning. They are, instead of crying out, holy, 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 they are crying out to the temple, the temple, the temple. He says, you are looking for what you can only find in me. You are looking for it in the building. He says, if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. And the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Jeremiah is predicting the fall of Jerusalem because they are, they're in a situation where they're worshiping other gods and worshiping 
Jehovah, God Almighty. You know, when, when you read through the Old Testament and you see God calling out his people, when you see uh, the, them addressing the idolatry, and why God calls his people adulterous is because they are worshiping idols while trying to worship God. The idols alone are enough of an affront to God, but to worship the idols and then also try to worship God at the same time, it's like spitting in his face. He says to them through Jeremiah that you are putting your hope in a religion that has nothing to do with relationship. That religion is a false religion. You see, revival is not found in the building. Revival is found in the presence of God. It is found in his presence. And he's calling them out for it. Jeremiah continues. He says, will you steal and murder? Will you commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say we are safe, safe to do all of these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? I have been watching, declares the Lord. Said another way. Will you party on Monday? Curse on Tuesday. Get drunk on Wednesday. Look at pornography on Thursday. Spew vitriol and hate and bitterness on Friday. Get in a fight with your spouse and your children on Saturday. And then come to my house and my church on Sunday morning and claim allegiance and sanctuary to me just because you came to my house. That's like a thief going to your house saying that I came to rob you, but now that I'm here, we're friends, so I'm going to take the stuff anyway. I told you this was not going to be comfortable. You see, we must reform our ways. He said, if you want my presence visited to this place, if you want my presence manifested in your life, you reform your ways because revival is not about religion. It is about a deeper and more revitalized walk with God. We see this in in the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus goes to their house. And Martha, she busies herself because Jesus was coming. And if you read that, you're probably, many of you would probably identify with that. Well, Jesus is coming over. i got to put the laundry away. i got to put the trash away. i, I got to pick all these toys up from, oh, that's my house, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like you identify with her because Jesus is coming over. And so she, she busies herself. She's about the service. She gets angry because her sister Mary, she takes a position of humility. She goes and she sits at Jesus' feet. She takes that position of a student. She positions herself as a disciple. You see, Martha was focused on the service. Mary, she was focused on the Savior. You see, she understood that that this walk with God was not about a religion. It wasn't about some ritual. It wasn't about, you know, coming to church once a week. It was about a a continual and eternal walk with God. In order for us to walk in the life that God wants to bring us, we must acknowledge that same thing. We must return to our first love. 
In Revelation chapter 2, it says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. What God is saying, what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus, he says that if you don't reform your ways, if you don't go back to doing the things that you did at first, I will not show up at your church service. You'll have church without me. We have to go back to the things that we did at first. Think about in, in your own relationships, in, in your marriage. If you have a struggle, if you hit a point of, of just difficulty, you, know, you, you need to return to those things. Think about how hard you pursued your spouse when you first met them. I was giving Melanie a hard time the other day. We were uh, driving down this road. It was the road to where I used to play softball. I used to play a lot of softball. And um, I was, she was unfamiliar with the road. And I was like, well, that's because I started playing here after we got married. And she was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, you used to come to play, watch me play ball before we got married. And then after I, we got married, you're like, I've already got them, so I don't need to come to the game. <laughs> she, she contends that she went to softball games after, but, you know. But the point, the point that I'm making, the point that I'm making is that think about how you pursued that person. Think about how much you, you worked on the relationship. And when you hit a, a point of difficulty, you don't, you don't restore the relationship through more ritual. You restore the relationship through effort. You restore the relationship through a, a, an, an increased focus on connection and love. Even if you buy your wife flowers, men, you've hit this hard point and you give her flowers. If your desire and effort towards increased connection dies before the flowers do, the flowers mean nothing. The flowers mean nothing. God says, return to your first love. Do the things that you did at first. So when you first became a Christian, think about how you engaged with God. You read your Bible not because the pastor told you to, but because you were learning about the Savior that came to the world. You worshipped not because the songs were, were familiar, not because they made you happy, but because you were being changed. You talked to God every day because he was revealing things to you. Return to your first love. Do the things you did at first. Wednesday night in our Bible study, uh, we were talking about the early church and the things that they did at first. You know, maybe if we want church or if we want the church to experience revival, maybe we need as a church to do what the church did at first. In Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, it says that the church did these, these things, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and prayer. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, Baptists, we can understand with breaking bread, right? We think about that. But listen, that's not what they were doing. They were devoted to taking communion with one another. 
to celebrating and proclaiming the death and resurrection of their Savior on a regular basis with one another. They got rid of all of their earthly distractions, and they lived in unity and community. They met in the temple courts and in each other's house, not once a week, not twice a week, every single day. And it says that they worship God with glad and sincere hearts. We must return to what we did at first. We must devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. We must devote ourselves to pursuing God, to acknowledging our own condition of sin and looking for him to revive us. In Joel and in Hosea, these two verses, they speak to God's heart towards his people. In Joel, it says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. In Hosea 6, it says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What Joel is saying is that God is looking for the fruit that is consistent with keeping with repentance, not just an outward display of repentance. He is looking for something inward to have changed. And Hosea, he says that he, he wants mercy, not sacrifice, acknowledgement of God, not burnt offerings. What he's saying is I want you to truly acknowledge me. I want you to truly engage with me. Don't just offer me a sacrifice in the hopes of gaining my favor. See, as we read through Psalm 85, we understand that the psalmist, he got this. He knew what it would take, and he was desperate for salvation. He says, show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. The glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. See, the psalmist is crying out for mercy. He's crying out for salvation. He is desperate to hear the message of peace that God would bring. But that message or hearing that message comes with a condition, a stipulation. It says, don't let the people return to their folly. In Proverbs 26, it says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. You see, when we hear the message of peace from God, when we understand and recognize the power of God's grace and that grace is manifested in our life and we receive that gift of salvation, returning back to our old way of life, returning back to the sin that got us in that situation in the first place would prove us to be fools. The psalmist says, don't let them go back to their folly. Don't let them turn you know, to, their, to their original ways. Rather, lead them. Let them walk in salvation. And that search for salvation is not a, a self-serving one. Because he says salvation is near to the one who fears the Lord. That when you're seeking salvation, we're seeking revival, it's not about God, what can you do for me? Not God, revive me so that my life can be better. It's not about God, I want to walk in this life so that I don't have any problems anymore. No, it's God, I am seeking your salvation because you gave me that salvation because of your son. 
but I want to be used by you as an instrument of your glory and your kingdom in the community so that others can come to know you as well. We must understand what what he means when he says that mercy and truth meet. You see, in that place where we are seeking salvation and we are seeking God's truth, what we must must realize is we can't seek his mercy on the terms of our truth. The truth that he's talking about, it's not my truth, it's not your truth, it's not the world's truth, it's not the truth that is convenient, it's not the truth that is self-serving, it's not the truth that aligns with my lifestyle. It's the truth that aligns with the word of God. I cannot have God's mercy and my truth. If I want to walk in God's mercy, I must walk in his truth. If I want to experience revival, I must first walk in the truth of God. And he goes on from that point. And he says that not only do mercy and truth meet, but righteousness and peace, they kiss each other. They are connected. That righteousness is imputed to us, just like our sin was imputed on Christ. When we walk in God's truth, when we receive his mercy, that righteousness is given to us and we walk in the peace of God. That is what revival looks like. And we get a picture. The psalmist concludes, he says, faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. These verses show that the internal and external and eternal transformation that comes with revival are not forced. They are natural. This faithfulness springs up from the ground. Another translation might say truth springs up from the ground. You see, when God deposits or when he plants his truth in you, it produces a fruit of faithfulness. And in that place, righteousness will look down from the sky and it says that the Lord will do what is good. The land will yield its increase. Now don't get me wrong. But I am not saying that revival is meant to bring your life into material alignment. Revival is meant to bring your life into spiritual alignment. Alignment. You see, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel that says, okay, if you get your life right with God, if you ask him to forgive you of your sins, if you walk in salvation, that everything will be just okay. Romans 8.28 says that, you know, that God will work all things uh, to the good of those who believe and are called according to his purpose. What that means is that when we get our lives right, when we walk in his truth, when we receive his mercy, when righteousness comes down and we walk in peace, it doesn't matter how dark, it doesn't matter how painful, it doesn't matter how difficult the circumstance that you are walking in, God will turn it to your benefit according to his will. That is his promise. But it's according to his will. Revival is not about seeking our benefit. It is about seeking God's face in his kingdom and his glory. And finally, the psalmist concludes with this beautiful, beautiful promise. He says that righteousness will come and make his path into a way. That is, I mean, that should just give us joy this morning. That in revival, we are not left alone. 
You see, the reason we need revival is because we fell out of the way, because we fell off the way, because we listened to our flesh. We took a step to the right when we should have been going straight. And so God says that when I bring revival, my righteousness will lead my children in the way everlasting. That if they follow me, my righteousness will be right there like the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that led my children day and night in the wilderness. My righteousness will be that for my children today. You are not alone. You are not alone. It can be intimidating to, to receive this kind of life and gift from God. And it might be easy to just sit and say, well, I'm not worthy of that, so I'm not even going to try because I can't live up to it. Listen, you will not surprise God by not living up to that. You can't. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit. That's why his righteousness will lead us along the way. This whole week, I've been thinking about how I would deliver this message. And I think you can see the urgency and, and the, the importance that I see in where we are and what God wants to do. But my fear is that sometimes my urgency comes across as anger. I want you to hear my heart this morning. I am not angry with you. I'm not. I'm desperate for God to pour out his spirit into your life in a way that you have never experienced. I want God to show himself so mightily to you that you can never have enough of him. I want him to change you from the inside out. So my heart this morning is one, is, is one of love because I, I understand that God loves you so much that, I mean, more than you could ever, ever, ever imagine. When I became a father, I got a much better understanding of what love was about. When I, heard, when I held Samuel for the first time or when I held my, my three daughters for the first time, there's just something that, that wells up inside of a dad for his child. To be literally holding this, this, this another person that you would give anything and everything for. And my Bible tells me, Jesus says, John, you're imperfect. And think about how much you love your children. Because I'm perfect. Not me, but that's what God says. He says, he's perfect. How much more do you think I love you? God is, he is here this morning. He is ready to pour out his love on you, to pour out his life into your life, to, 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 to bring his presence in to where you are, to revive you. But what you must do is you gotta be tired of being dead. Are you tired of being dead? Are you tired of that struggle of carrying around the dead weight of your old crucified self? It was crucified with Christ. Christ was the only one that resurrected. Some of you are still carrying around a dead body. If you're ready to walk in life, 
lay that down at God's feet and walk in his truth. So my question, are you ready to admit that we need revival? Are you ready to admit that? How are you going to engage in a deeper walk with God? We must ask this question, is Christ our source of life? Or are we looking for life from the things of the world? Because when we look for life from the things of the world, we fit into the world without even thinking about it. Instead, like Paul said, we must fix our eyes on God and we'll be transformed from the inside out. And then lastly, are you walking in your truth? Are you walking in God's truth? Our worship team is going to come and we're going to have a time of invitation, but as we come, I would just take this time to pray. I hope that God has spoken to you today. I hope that he has shown you where you have given into your flesh. I hope he has shown you what he wants to do in your life, how he wants to introduce life to you. If you want to experience that life, cry out to him, revive me again. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the life that only comes from you. That life isn't found in this building. Life isn't found in the things that we do as part of our relationship with you, God, life is found in you. And we do those things because we love you. Because that is how you speak to us and you bring that life to us. Forgive us, Lord, for giving into our flesh. Forgive us, God, for pursuing life outside of you. Forgive us for looking to religion. Forgive us for not pursuing a relationship. Forgive us for not surrendering our life to you. Forgive us for holding you back at arm's length, God, not allowing you to come in and penetrate everything that we are. Forgive us for willingly walking in death. God, today we are here God, I choose life. I choose life. I don't want to walk in death anymore. I don't don't want to struggle with the things that I struggle with. I I don't want to struggle with my attitude. I don't want to struggle with with any of it, just frustration, with anxiety, with worry. I don't want to struggle with these things anymore. I lay them at your feet, God. And where they were, the place of my heart. God, I invite you and your spirit to come in and fill that place. Fill that void, God. Fill it with your spirit and your power and the life that only you can bring. God, I know that I'm not alone in choosing life. Help us all to choose that life this morning, to identify those areas, God, where you are working in us, where you want to bring us to greater understanding and a greater and deeper relationship with you than we've ever, ever known, God. 
pour out your spirit in this place, not because of this place, but because your people are seeking you. God, we love you. We surrender to you. We thank you for this life that you have given us. God, let us follow after the righteousness that has been given to us to make our feet away. Help us to follow after you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.